welcome to the Art of Healthcare podcast, where we aim to be as good at the human side of healthcare as we are at the clinical side of healthcare. My name is Chris Desmond. I'm a physiotherapist who's fascinated by how we can better help the person with the problem. Join us as we learn how to connect better, how to show up better, and how to understand our patients and ourselves better. Welcome to the Art of Healthcare show, uh, where we have conversations with experts to help us get better at helping the person with the problem. Today, I am joined by my friend Emma Webb. Uh, Emma is the founder of Studio Atafai. Uh, she's a physiotherapist. She's passionate about Maori health development here in New Zealand as well. Kia ora, Emma. Welcome. Atamari, good morning. Thanks for having me, Chris. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Um, I think I've said this to kind of everyone that I've talked to so far, but when I was thinking about kicking this show off, I was like, oh, I need to get Emma on. Um, so it's <laughs> nice that we could we could bring this to fruition. Um, and I always like to I always like to start things off, Emma, with mm. a little bit of a background about yourself and mm. and also why you're interested in the art of healthcare, while you're why you're interested mm. in the people side of healthcare. Um, so feel free to uh, answer as briefly or as elaborately as you like. Oh thank you, Chris. Um I so I think to to introduce who I am, call YO, it's Taha El Toku Papa, um, so I'm from the north, I'm from Hokianga, born and raised um, on my mother's side with a large Pakeha whānau, um, but my Māori Whakapapa is also from just down the road in South Hokianga uh, in Waima. So, um, yeah, I started my years in a beautiful, uh, self-sustainable farm um, with all my cousins and really had a deep connection to Te Taia or the natural environment um, where we had acres and acres of native bush, a beautiful, clear stream, the Whiranaki Awa, if anyone's been there, it's just the freshest water you could hope for in New Zealand, straight from the rainfall, through the mountains, running past our back doorstep. So really, really privileged upbringing um, in that respect. So much freedom. And just as the oldest of eight children um, and homeschooled and possibly to escape the housework and the jobs mum had lined up for me, um, spent hours alone in the bush um, in my own dream world and making up stories as I go about fantasy creatures and people and but really just enjoying getting to know the smell of the bush the texture of the plants and the trees what it's like to go through jungle thick undergrowth or you know walk up a stream for kilometers and when I think back on my journey in healthcare that's some um, that's still my foundation that's my founding um connection I guess to want to heal people so if we fast forward a good 10 years uh, we moved to Auckland to the outskirts of Auckland um, when I was in my early teens and my first day at school was as a 14 year old (laughs) so 
straight into high school, missed the um, primary school part of the kaupapa. Um, through homeschooling, my academics were on point. They were okay. Um, and managed to get myself a scholarship to get into physiotherapy at AUT. And there, coming immersed into um, to healthcare, you know, from a Western point of view, we're talking, you know, pathology and details and physiology and anatomy. And my brain's not great at details, Chris. Um, I am a little bit dyslexic and remembering dates and times and those little nitty-gritty. I'm just like, why? My brain thinks in big picture. And it's uh, and I've come from a very connecting um I guess worldview, and I think that's again founded in growing up in Tatayal, seeing that you know everything's the ecology system, it's all integrated, and as human beings, we're part of that system. So the other thing about growing up rurally is health. The healthcare system was seen as the system, and it was also seen as other. The other mm-hmm. wasn't part of us. Um, and there's a, a split, I feel, what I felt um, between those that live rurally and remotely in Hokianga um, and the city people um, or townies, as we call them. Um, and often big flash doctors or health and safety people with their clipboards and their orange jackets would come from the city um, and assess contractors. So lots of contract work where we grew up. And that rural focus of you know, we were a tight-knit community and the other was coming to us, stuck with me. So when I was in AUT, surrounded by this Western medical knowledge, I felt like I was an imposter in the system. Um, and I kind of fought that system as we went through. So you ask me an assignment and I think about everything around the question, but I don't answer the question because I'm trying to connect everything in Tetayal to this question. <laughs> they just mm. want to know the answer to the question. So I battled my way through physiotherapy, and, and as I graduated, um, it was through taking three really beautiful papers in, in Māori Health um, and the determinants of healthcare that lit the fire for me for social justice, because my family also has a social justice background, um, where they have peaceful protests and against things like climate, you know, the influence of climate change and big corporate companies, and particularly um, against war. And so my wider whānau will be, you know, have, have had that throughout their um, generations, and I guess I've had a taste of that. But my passion was to bring the social justice um, scene to my work in Māori Health. So... Yeah, so from there, I found that this was a way that I could, like as you say, with the art of healthcare, combine healthcare with my understanding of people, the people from you know where I was from and my type of people. Um, and typically, I've become to understand is that what I call my type of people have struggled in this um, the healthcare system, and then that's where we see the poor statistics for rural people and for Māori in particular in New Zealand. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's what inspired me to start Studio Atify, is to start to help to bring that lens to healthcare professionals um, so that when we do go out and treat you know, different clients that we have, we have another perspective rather than being perhaps influenced so strongly by the academic healthcare system um, and then our hospitals and our private practices and so forth. 
Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I I hadn't really heard your backstory mm. before now, so it's cool to it's it's really cool to uh, to know that. Um, and I grow up rurally, well, rural-ish in New Zealand. I guess you'd probably call me a little bit of a townie. Um, mm. I lived in Kaitaia for a little while, or just outside oh, of Kaitaia in Awanui, um, oh, and wow. lived uh, down in Thames as well. So about five thousand people lived in Thames, so it's it's, it's yeah. a town. But yeah. it's uh, kind of I, I understand the um, kind of the the, uh, the difference between the people accessing services rurally versus in a big city like I'm sitting in Wellington at the mm. moment, mm. Um, and like the the when you when you answer the question uh, or when you said the piece around the questions at university. Mm. Uh, and and thinking of everything around that, yeah, um, not a great technique for exams. No, but I, I think <laughs> if extra- yeah, extrapolated out to a health mm. professional is that often the the most important thing I think is understanding the context around yeah. the question that's being yeah. asked and the problem that yeah. that someone has come to see you with. Because if yeah. you if you fail to understand that context, then you really have no chance at answering that yeah. question effectively. Yeah, agreed. And I feel like um, you may have great expert clinical knowledge, but if your patient or your client isn't taking that on board because of certain communication barriers or the way it's been presented, then it may as well not be given at all. Um and I think because we both have worked in rehab, I mean, I can talk to rehab and certainly think if we're talking, um, you know, thinking more about the surgical side of healthcare, you do need to be quite specific, hmm. um, you know, and you do need to be quite anatomy and pathology focused. However, it's such a small part of the, the whole person's life experience. And I think with the... I guess the gift that we have in in rehabilitation is we get to connect with the people um, and we get to influence their healthcare in a, you know, day-to-day ongoing basis. Um, And if we can't connect to their spiritual and their social side, then we're not going to make a very big impact on their physical side. Um, And I guess typically the way healthcare is set up and the Eurocentric or Western model that we practice in in New Zealand is it is focused on the body. So when there's something wrong with the body, you come in and you see a health professional and you get fixed. But all the little, I guess, determinants of health that lead up to that point of that person becoming unwell um, are influenceable. And if we can help be that change for that person or, um, yeah, open the door for that person to different possibilities, then we can start to connect the dots connect the dots and then um, hopefully make an impact on their rehabilitation, their recovery and their, their health going forward. Mm. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. And when we were kind of going back and forth about, about talking today, um, you, you mentioned uh, balancing, balancing the clinical knowledge with mm. the intuition of, mm. of you as a person as well mm. um, and, and how valued valuable that was yeah um and i think like that really talks to the point that you just 
just made there is mm-hmm. that there are so many opportunities for us to change someone's health path or change yeah. someone's health journey along um, along the piece of it, ideally before they get to kind mm. of a, a critical point or to mm. potentially the, the surgical point. Mm. Um, and I was, I was really interested to, to talk to you about that and mm. was kind of wondering what you, what you saw as the role of intuition or mm. um, from, from us as clinicians and in, in helping yeah. people. Yeah. And I think um like my background as a physiotherapist, we get taught musculoskeletal um, assessment and diagnosis. So mm. we're really trying to drill down on what's going on here from a muscle, bone, soft tissue point of view. And I think this conversation has been, it, it gets left out of, the, of my training anyway. Yeah. And I've had these conversations with the likes of um, pediatric nurses with little babies in critical care. Mm. And they talk about you can feel something in your waters, um, yep. as in as in your own. And I take that as in your wairoa, because wairoa is your waters. Um, and they just there's a sensing and a knowing that and that you feel where this rehab's going to go or the recovery's going to go with the little one. Um, it's talked about also in Maori healthcare, so you know that's traditional. Um, care is a, a journey that I'm on and it's you know I'm beginning that journey but the exposure that I have had definitely talks to being in your heart space not your head space so our head space is that clinical knowledge the dates the pathologies the the research um knowing what's going on that that holding on to that I I can control the situation because I know what's going on heart space is about trusting and it's that intuition that we as human beings, we've had connections with each other since the dawn of time, since the dawn of our time. Um, and just being able to follow that intuition or that trust that you can sense and you can pick up what's going on. And for me, again, I talked to um, you know my brain wanting to let go of the details and focus on the bigger picture. So for someone like me, that's my learning style. It's not everyone's learning style, but for someone like me, that intuition is a breath of fresh air and it's a relief because I can just sense where to go. I can feel where to go with this person. Um, And it, you know, it must be these conversational cues when talking to them. Um, If we're talking about having, doing body work, you can sense where the pain is with the person. And again, their body will be feeding back to you verbally, non-verbally, and you can go to that area to treat it. Um, Which for me, being trained in physiotherapy and especially under New Zealand's funding models, you have to be specific to the area of injury. So you get to predetermine what part of the body you're going to treat. Um, And I guess that's, yeah, that's where I struggled as a clinician to fully let go, go into my heart space, trust and sense when my head space was holding so strong so I can be compliant to the way that I've been taught to treat both academically and then under the logistics and legalities of the funding system. Um, yeah, I don't even know what the question was. That was a really <laughs> bit of a long tangent. I don't know. That was cool. That was cool. Um, 
I guess it's like, and kind of off the back of that, it's, it's a balance, I think, between that headspace, which is really mm. important as well, and mm. and the heart space. And I think, mm. um, you for everybody that comes in to see you, or for everybody that, that mm. you see, and you're helping with their heart, their health journey, you need a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, and like, uh, in my opinion, anyway, it's it, it's a bit of a sliding scale. Yeah. Sometimes your rugby player who's rolled their ankle all you need is for the most part is the headspace you're like yeah. you do this you'll be back on the field in two and a mm. half weeks mm. away you go but for someone else you need a lot more heart space with mm. a with a little bit of headspace mm. thrown in there as well is Guiding. that yeah is that something that you see as well yeah I mean that definitely resonates and I think um there are I, I guess we've, we spend a lot of time critiquing the the clients or the patients or the people by order seekers of wellness um, that come to us needing a lot more of that heart space because that's typically what we don't give um, we're typically more we're needing to control the situation and know what's going on um, but I think you're right like sometimes it is it's just quite straightforward this is mechanically what you need give them what they mechanically need and they feel great and on they go um so yeah there's definitely room for both and it, just like there's room for um rongo maori miri miri romi romi traditional maori practices and there's room for surgeons as well we need the lot let's take the best of everything that there is to offer human beings are an amazing species like we can do amazing things and i think our limitations are usually political um financial but if we boil it down and i was thinking about this you know um in preparation for talking today on the back of some of our conversations i think the main barriers and this is an opinion it's not necessarily a universal truth but it probably comes down to fear power and control so if we fear um yeah if if we're driven by fear rather than by love or by trust um, we're going to need to have control over the situation because that keeps the power deeply seated with us as clinicians and practitioners. Um, but I don't think we talk about it as fear and power or control, but we talk about it as accountability, keeping us safe, keeping them safe. Um, compliance. And compliance and, and sort of ring-fencing what we do because we're too fearful to still too fearful to step into that vulnerability of perhaps being wrong and that being wrong is okay because we are humans as well um and it it's not necessarily practitioner driven it's also i'd say as a population our clients our fire order have been led to expect that we're going to get it right we're going to get it right every time um and if we don't then they're going to come down on us like a ton of bricks and that's you know that's one scenario um and i know some people can be very forgiving but i think yeah there's an underlying culture of that fear of getting it wrong with a person um and you know because a wrong diagnosis could be could mean life or death in some situations and thankfully within rehabilitation that's not something i've ever had to encounter because often with rehabilitation it's not life and death mm-hmm. it's pain or less pain um, or it's function or less function so we get to be a bit braver in this space and be more vulnerable um, 
when there's no life and death decisions on the line. Mm. Mm, yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think there's the the headspace part of you need to be able to figure out the big wrong things. And thankfully in the rehabilitation space, at least most of the time, the, they'll kick you in the teeth. If mm. you do a re, if you do a um, kind of a, a reasonable clinical exam, you'll pick up when something is is badly wrong that you need to to send Absolutely. them off to see a specialist re- yeah. really really quickly. Um, but kind of as you go on from that, you you talk about getting the right answer, and mm. there's there's often not one right answer. Yeah, there's as I say, there's a hundred ways to skin a cat. Yeah. Um, and what's right for one person isn't always right for, for the same person or yeah. for another person who yeah. has exactly the same pathology. Yeah. Um, and I and think we that- see this. Sorry. You go. I'll jump in. Um, and we see this in Māori healthcare as well. So there's some people, and not all Māori are the same, so there's some Māori that will want a very clinical setting and there's some Māori that will want that intuition and get to know me as a person before you get to tell me what to do about my health care mm. um and so yes yeah, so there's a you know very a variance of um opinions and what people need and i guess it's up to us as a clinician again to pick up on those cues and this is where the art comes in in the heart space as you're like what does this person need um and sometimes you know talking to a, a traditional um, Māori practitioner they sometimes will say well that sometimes they'll say very little and what they do say you probably don't want to hear if you're their if you're their client and they can tell you some hard-hitting truths um, and it's the art with which they do that that people then go away and it they might take them a while but they'll make some life changes and then they can then they'll progress on so you know much like um, all of our rehab professionals Sometimes what the person wants to hear is what not is not what they need to hear. So knowing when to be direct, um, knowing when you can deliver those sort of um, kick in the butt, make a change statements, um, and knowing when to be a bit more gentle and pull back and just ease the person into doing what they need to do to help their um, pain of function. Mm. Mm. And well, like we were talking before we hit record on this about like there's there's a lot of great uh, information out there about how we become better clinically. Um, mm. So how we improve our headspace, and mm. I mean that's the that's the basis of most of our healthcare mm. training and in mm. um, the way that healthcare education has been delivered for for quite some time for at least hundreds the last yeah at least yeah. the last hundred hundred years. Um, but how do we start to how do we start to improve our ability to use our heart space with people? Mm. I think um, it starts with looking in the mirror. So it starts with self reflection of what are my biases? What have I been brought up to believe that's a truth, and is it the truth? Um, and my understanding is these multiple realities. So what's true for me might not be true for the next person. Mm. But if I understand why I think like I do, uh, why I react like I do, 
um, it's going to help me see other, I guess, patterns in people um, that can help me understand where they're coming from instead of being in a reactive space, um, being in a more open and understanding space and then choosing my options from there. So choosing my options from knowing, um, yeah, knowing them and knowing me knowing me better um, rather than just reacting to being like, oh, you know, something that might be for me personally. So I'm talking for an example, um, quite clinical and quite, you know, takes all the humanistic side out of perhaps a treatment. Um, I might be quite reactive to that. Mm. But then if I can understand why, okay, well, is there truth in this rehab protocol? Um, Although it takes out the human side of, the you know the situation is there still some knowledge to be gained from that yes there is brilliant take the knowledge instead of chucking the baby out with the bath water and turning it all down because I'm reacting to that um what might seem to be quite you know clinical and oppressive and, and not very nice to engage in so um yeah how getting to know ourselves I think is getting to know our heart space um and questioning the the things that we were taught to become health professionals why were we taught them and who is it serving um, and if it's not serving us and it's not serving our patients then why are we doing it um, and I think asking some of those more fundamental questions mm. but then mm. I always like to as well in terms of getting to know you know how do we start on this journey is having a look at some I mean, I always go back to traditional knowledge and Indigenous knowledge, but Indigenous doesn't necessarily just mean people with brown skin because we have Indigenous people um, to all our European um, countries as well. And so one person that I have um, looked at his work and I find is amazing is Wim Hof. Oh, yeah, he's cool. Yeah, so old Iceman Wim Hof. And he's done things that humanly we would say is probably impossible, Mm. but he's done them. Um, and so he's able to, you know, meditate and breathe to a point where you can raise his core temperature, which in the clinical world, we're saying it's, it's not, um, it's an autonomic function. Mm. We can't physically do that. It's like breathing and heart beating. We can't control our heart beating. Yes, we control the rate of our breathing, but when we go to sleep, we keep breathing. So it's like an automatic thing. And so, um, that's, I feel a whole lost or forgotten art of healthcare is being able to really connect with yourself not just emotionally and how do I think and learn because again that's getting quite headspace but also me as a physical being how do I connect back in um, and how do I really get to know what's going on in my own body so connecting with that breathing being able to immerse yourself in an ice bath um, and come out and actually feel amazing. Um, I can't say I've got to that stage personally yet. I haven't tried that, but um, I do love my warm showers. Yeah. But we're all on a journey. You just bang it on for bang it on thirty seconds cold right at the end. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Just, and, and start start there. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think like kind of to to talk back on some of the stuff that mm. that you've just been chatting about is it's almost kind of looking for looking for the reactions that you have um mm. the the defensiveness in yourself mm. that start to help you identify the biases that you might have um mm. when when you're presented with information that 
you react to or you think, yeah. oh, that's that's wrong. And whether that's um, academic information, whether that's mm. this podcast conversation that we're having right mm. now that people are like, whoa, that's gross. Um, or whether it's you reacting to a patient as well is that mm. something has butted up against one of your biases there and mm. it's causing that reaction in yourself. That's a really opportune time to to stop and have a look and see hey what's going on for me here why am i reacting the way that i am but if you find that you're you're not having any reactions at all that you're just kind of rolling through the day and you're not reacting either you are super super woke um (laughs) and good on you uh, or you potentially need to put yourself in some more challenging situations where you can, but when you can butt your biases up against things like jumping in the ice bath or turning the shower on for 30 seconds or going and having a look at some um, indigenous health concepts as well, um, Mm. which, which challenge your ideas and cause you to react. Mm, Cooper word. So, um, yeah, no, and I think you've summarised that, all my ramblings, you've summarised that very well. So, um, you're exactly right. We can have those, I guess, reactions to patients as well because they come with their flavour and their life story um, and you might not, like, you know, you might not have reacted that way to that injury. You see them reacting this way to that injury and that can cause a bit of a, oh, what are you doing that for? Just yeah. change. Come on. Um, yeah, come on. So I think, yeah, it's it really is an art. And I think there is so much potential in looking back as well at our um, at our old traditional practices and you know even our Maori pre-European traditional practices. So for Maori, it's quite um, the arrival of Europeans relatively recent. Mm. in our history um you know getting really immersed sort of 200 300 years ago um and so what a rapid change for a whole population to go through in 300 years to change the whole structure and the way they live um but if i look at you know stories um of mohitapa in particular he was a very politically active uh a man a very spiritual man um, and he actually signed the Declaration of Independence and Te Tiriti o Waitangi. So he was in his heyday um, in the early 1800s or 1820s, 30s and 40s. Um, and so initially he was a renowned Māori warrior and then he turned to Christianity um, and was renowned politically within the Christianity field and within Māori still, within the um, Māori community. And he, there's a story that he ran, uh, he was, they were on a, a wall party um, and he was the front runner and he would go through and scout and take down people that were in the way. Um, and at the end of one big exhausting day, he actually got smacked on the head by an opponent so hard that it has caused a dent in his skull and the story goes that when it was it he healed this is the thing he healed and so there was no access to a sterilized surgical hospital room um no stroke or brain injury rehab at that time 
So he suffered this massive blow to his head, was left for dead, healed over with his own intuition or any traditional Māori practices that were involved in the time, and it doesn't say what happened, um, to go on to not have a brain injury, to be fully competent, to be politically active, to sign treaties, um, and all off natural traditional healing. So my whakaaro is what have we forgotten? We haven't lost it, but what have we forgotten as a people um, about the following your intuition and connecting with te taiao? So, um, you know, as I started my kōrero today, that's just connecting in with the world around you and that's, you know, sharing energy and knowing what plants heal and so forth and what your body needs. So connecting really deeply, knowing what your body needs at that time. Um, the story goes like when it rained, the divot in his head was so big that it could collect water. <laughs> oh. And he survived, you know, with no surgical intervention. Mm. Wow. Thank you for sharing that story. That's that's yeah. really cool. Um we, we've kind of talked about it a little bit already, but what are some of the, the big barriers you see um from us stopping having that connection? with ourselves and with with others mm. i think we are trained aren't we so we go through be it a nursing degree occupational degree physio degree or other um and in that we are within a system where there's a clear hierarchy and we're definitely at the lower end of that hierarchy um so we're being told how to and marked and graded and assessed on how to act as health professionals. Um, and you know, my experience was they assess your clinical knowledge and they assess how you present yourself. And assessing how you present yourself was to the university standard. And the university's idea about what a good interaction between two people, um, healthcare and biota or patient. Um, and so you're being assessed on every facet of how you interact and what you know. And then you get out of your healthcare degree, and again you're the junior, um, and so you are you theoretically you know the least in the room, um, and you're monitored by someone, and you're and you you know continue to be supervised by someone, and so I'm saying this sort of in an objective way, and it might come across as quite oppressive, but of course there is helpful measures and all of that, and so they're helping us to learn, but again whose system and who for whose benefit um and so once we've been fully conditioned as you know at the end of a three or four year degree and then as our you know two or three or four junior years whatever it is um, for each profession um we have had nearly a decade of being like conditioned into this is how you think this is how you treat this is how you interact and I think conditioning is a barrier or expectation is a barrier. And so I don't see that there's much room for exploring, for being vulnerable, for putting yourself out there, for sharing ideas, for new concepts, um, for creativity. So, um, and I'm speaking from my lens or my bias as a physiotherapist. And if you're a social worker, it might look slightly different. Again, occupational therapist, it might look slightly different. but um, yeah, I think it comes back down to the fear of getting it wrong, the fear of making a mistake um, and having a claim against you as a practitioner. 
um, the fear of missing something big, like, you know, uh, we're here to treat a musculoskeletal issue or a pain issue, and what if we miss something that is life-threatening, like cancer? Um, and then also, you know, a, we're all insured. We've all got insurance cover as healthcare professionals. We pretty much can't operate without it. Um, and so we need to be compliant to have the cover. Um, and so there's all these layers through both the healthcare system, the institution of healthcare, and the institution of the educational system that tell us how to think and how to be. Um, so I think that's the biggest barrier to start with. Mm. Mm. And I think that that, as you said, it serves it serves a certain population. It serves mm. um, kind of that way of operating does serve a range of people reasonably mm. well from yep. a patient perspective yep. and from a from a practitioner perspective. Yeah. Um, but also, it misses. Yeah. It misses some, and like you just you just need to look at the health statistics here mm. in New Zealand to mm. to see areas that it does miss. But mm. I think one thing that they don't talk about as well is that kind of operating that way. What does it do to us as as health practitioners as well? Mm. Um, if you don't have that space to be creative and mm. explore, um, mm. I think like from the just speaking from the physiotherapy profession there is there's a really high rate of people leaving the profession yeah. before seven years are up I think yeah. I, I don't not exact sure of the numbers but it's something like 50 percent mm. um, of people leave before seven wow. years um, yeah and just the the statistics around burnout in the medical profession yeah. as well um, yeah. which is is partially due to kind of the, the system that we operate within. Mm. And I'm going to ask you a question and put you on the spot here. And <laughs> don't, don't feel like, um, don't feel worried about getting it wrong. <laughs> but how do we, how do we start to work around some of these barriers mm. um, to, to deliver, deliver services that are, that are helpful for, for an individual rather than, the bulk of the population and and also to kind of that are helpful for us as practitioners i think we take the power back so i think as individual clinician um practitioners clinicians we get together and we wananga and we set the terms so i think um we get so busy and we see so many people and we hear about all these bad, bad statistics and we can almost feel like we're on a hamster wheel and we're just going, 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 going. So this is a big picture view. This is a bit mm -hmm. of an ideological view, but we wānanga. How do we learn best is when we share ideas. We're all becoming experts in our field um, and those that are new to the field have got a beautiful different new lens to offer. So I think we get together as practitioners, we break out of our silos. So we get nurses and midwives and physios and OTs all in a room. Then we also mix with doctors and surgeons and psychologists and psychiatrists. And so I think there's so many um, conferences, a doctor's conference, a physio's conference, and we're just in an echo chamber. Um, and we can see how dangerous echo chambers are when we look at the politics in the United States. Mm. Um, so I, I guess my, if I was to lay down a challenge to New Zealand, 
it would be let's wānanga as health professionals because we know our patients and we know our skill set. And then we can start to be creative and we can start to break down some of the fear and control barriers because I think it still comes back to that and power is a huge part to play, be it political power, um, be it the universities needing to recruit and make money because they're a business and have bigger healthcare programs, um, be it DHBs, because they're also run as a um, district health board. So it's also a business-orientated system. If the money's not there, they can't pay the staff and they can't see the clients. But is there a better way to do it? So it ties right back up to our political structure and our economic structure. And so if I think of deconstructing that, um, again, I look back to my tipuna and my, and I'm again, disclaimer, I am not an expert in this area. Um, and I think it's a whole area of knowledge that's being reclaimed. But I sit there and I think our healers prior to the arrival of um, Europeans, were they treating patients all day? Very likely not. Mm. Um, we were all, you know, being in a village-based or a marae-based, a hapu-based community. Um, everyone has their part to play. And a lot of it, you know, revolves around kai gathering, making um, shelters, houses or marae, um, but also artwork. So artwork comes when uh, culture is thriving and there's enough time for people to sit around and tutu and express themselves and carve and paint and tamoko. Um, you know, so the Pacific was the birthplace of tamoko. So we had enough time <laughs> to sit around and find ink that we can tattoo into our skin. Um, so, no, I don't think our healthcare providers back in the day, as they say, um, were seeing patients all day and burning out. So they were being able to create and express and wānau and stay up talking and follow the moon and understand the stars. Um, and I think that's we, we miss that in our approach to healthcare today. You're, a, you know, you're defined by your title um, quite often. And I think there is a subtle shift. I think there's a lot of uh, what's been called alternative medicine um, and it's actually coming out of their seats of power, you know, in the European, um, like Europe and Britain and America. And admittedly, I'm talking to the Western world because I don't know much about the, um, you know, other cultures. That's not something I immerse myself in, you know, like Indian culture, Asian culture, um, Russian, whatever. Um, but a lot of stuff that's, in, that's influencing, I feel, Western medical care as alternative uh, it's getting back to nature and getting back to our traditional practices. So, you know, your cold showers, your breathing, your, um, your, your oils, your essential oils, your massage, all these things that are just connecting us again as a people and to our environment. Mm. Mm. Cool. Well said, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> so lots of barriers that lots of ways we can start. Um, but I feel like it's, things like this podcast and reaching outside of what the circle that we roll in. Mm. Mm. Cool. Cool. Uh, if people are interested in finding out more about you and, and mm. Studio Atafai, where's, where's the best place for them to do that? At the moment, um, it's just a little page on Facebook um, and my email's up there. So the best way to probably 
find out more about me is to flick me an email. Um, so Emma at studioartify.co.nz um, or to have a little search on the Facebook page um, or and my phone number's on there too. So I'm really open to conversations. Can't promise I'll pick the phone up every time, <laughs> but you can always leave a message yeah. and I'll get back to you. Yeah, kids get in the way of that sometimes. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah. I could pick it up, but like. you're going to have a child screaming at you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Emma, thank you so much for, for joining me today. Thanks so much, Chris. It's been um, an amazing experience, my first podcast. So thank you. Nice. I'm sure I'll see you further on in this journey. That is a wrap. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into the show. If you've enjoyed it, then make sure to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any of the weekly episodes. If you want to support the show, the best thing you can do is to share this out with a mate that you reckon might enjoy it. And if you want to enhance your skills in this area even more, then watch out for the Art of Healthcare community coming in August 2021. It's a truly interdisciplinary space for us to upskill our art. If you want a sneak peek, for more info, head over to artofhealthcare.mn.co. That's artofhealthcare.mn.co. And a couple of quick thank yous. First of all, thank you to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music. And thank you to you guys for joining me as we look to improve our art.